Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I am your host, Stephen Stiles, and what a bizarre last nine days that we're going to review. Just an incredible draft that was just about dead silent after so many people thought there'd be so much activity during it to some picks that weren't expected as to where players might fall and a free agency period that has followed that has just been bizarre as the draft to say the least and probably about as exciting as watching flypaper dry. So let's back up a little bit and start with the Canadians first pick right-handed defenseman David Reinbacher. I think this is one of these times that you definitely have to take a leap of faith and believe in an organization's ability for talent recognition. There's been comments made for a long time how hard a right-handed 1-2 defenseman on a team is one of the hardest things to find. And this kid has a lot of attributes, world-class skating, solid puck handling, great transition game, has played in a league that is older than the junior leagues, has held his own, has grown tremendously, and in seeing initial interviews with him, seems to have his head on really, really straight. On top of drafting a defenseman with their first pick overall, which a lot of people I know have an issue with because there was so much offensive talent that a lot of people, it's like, oh, great, we're going to finally get that tenacious Matthew Kachuk Ryan O'Reilly type, or we're going to get that franchise type score. Montreal went with a defenseman. Defensive picks are generally not exciting. But the funny thing is, you can either talk about the Vegas Golden Knights this year, or many teams in different sports over the years that say defense wins you championships. If Reinbacher pans out, Montreal has set themselves up for an amazing defensive group moving forward. You got to think of the top six probably being at this point, which is interesting because there's a lot of prospects that are kind of like, what about this guy? And he's really good. But you kind of have to think David Reinbacher, Lane Hudson, Logan Mylou, Caden Gooley, Arbor Jacki. Who's the other guy? Is it Adam Ingstrom? A lot of people would move towards that pick. What happens to players that I didn't mention like Justin Baran, Jonathan Kovacevic, Mike Matheson? There's a lot of talent. Jordan Harris, Jason Struble. So it's really interesting. Montreal has not only set themselves up with a really tremendous starting six, but a lot of depth too. For a future episode somewhere way, way down the road, you got to have to wonder how many of these kids Montreal is going to have to be able to retain if the NHL starts going nuts with more teams entering the league, especially with the rules that the Las Vegas Golden Knights and Seattle Kraken have had. The other interesting part about the draft is that, obviously, the organization knew that goaltending was a major deficiency in the organization. They drafted three goalies. Can't recall the last time a team actually did that. What will be interesting is the reviews and information available on those prospects indicates they're all very solid. But that being said, goaltenders, I mean, just look at some of the recent goaltenders that Montreal has brought up. At one time, Charlie Lindgren looked great. Had like three shutouts in his first four NHL games. Seemed like the solid backup to the starter. Caden Primo came up early on when he came out of Northeastern University. Had 
two solid seasons there. Looked like a diamond gem in the rough seventh round pick in his draft and now may end up getting waiver wired in this coming off season during the training camps and rookie camps. So it'll be really interesting. I would still have to say at this point, Jakob Davish is still to me the best goaltending prospect in the organization. I think the kid is something above average. I really do. I Maybe the term special is so overused. Maybe that's not an appropriate term to use, but I think the kid can develop into something really amazing for the Montreal Canadiens. I'll be extremely interested to watch the development of not only the three goaltending prospects from the 2023 draft, but Jakob Dabish as well, and Emmett Croteau, and other people that they have in their pipeline to yet to even be signed, because goaltending has been so such a position of uniqueness and power for the Montreal Canadiens. There just isn't another organization that has had that kind of renowned talent decade after decade in that position. One of the hopes that I have, not only for Montreal's draft picks this year, but all the prospects, all the young players on the team, I don't know where the attitude and appetite is coming from to berate or insult players, but that needs to stop. And just projections of in the case of goaltending prospect Quentin Miller. Oh my God, he was on Patrick Waugh's team last year that won the Memorial Cup. He's been coached by the legend. Patrick Waugh will impart something on him. He's going to be the next Patrick Waugh. Enough. Let prospects of any team in any sport develop on their own. What is this obsession with having to name the next great one, the next legend, the next, you know, messiah. Where is that coming from? And why isn't it being slapped down hard? Because it's unrealistic, not to mention the fact just outright ridiculous. And just to wrap up the draft portion of this discussion, the Canadians' later picks are very intriguing to me. Bogdan Kajikov, Sam Harris, Philip Erickson, Luke Middlestaff, they all seem to be players that are a little bit older. It's like Montreal saw an opportunity that maybe their development might be able to be shortened as far as the amount of time, not the amount of energy put into them. And it just seems like maybe the Canadians are thinking that maybe these players can become role players quickly. I'll be interested to see if these are draft picks that contribute to a future NHL roster or if they were perceived talent that was available but a little bit older at that point in the draft. Maybe thought there was a little bit more maturity and the Canadians thought maybe they could be good fillers. I'll be really, really interested to see that. Moving on to an even more and bizarre free agency period. At least the trade of, or pending trade of, Joel Edmondson has come to an end as he got traded to the Washington Capitals. The disappointing part about that trade is one has to wonder if this is one of those examples of being too greedy and waiting it out. Because one has to believe over the last two years that Montreal near trading deadline periods of time in each season received much higher value offers. I can remember at times when people were talking about a first-round pick, because certainly if you can get a first-round pick for Ben Sherratt, one would think you can get a first-round pick for Joel Edmondson. And then there was maybe a couple of second-round picks were thrown in as an offer, and the trade results in eventually ending up with Montreal obtaining a third and seventh-round pick for Joel Edmondson. 
that just seems appropriate on the one side because Joel Edmondson's injury history over the last two years has just been astronomically horrible. I mean, his career has just been sliced, diced, and undercut by injuries in a way I wouldn't wish on anybody. But I really got to wonder if the eventual compensation in this trade was because Montreal held on being greedy too long. Because in the end, they got spanked hard for the compensation that they got for Joel Edmondson. That was much less than what I expected. I figured when he didn't get traded last year, he'd be amongst the... Joel Armia's, Mike Hoffman's, and himself, maybe David Savard, and a couple of others that I can think of, like a Jake Allen, and that may have been like, well, let's see at the absolute end of potential availability to us and being with our organization, let's see what we can get for him at the trade deadline in the 2023-2024 season. I would have thought they would have at least gotten more than that. Again, with the injury history that Edmondson has had, probably more of an appropriate compensation for him. The signings selections by the Montreal Canadiens are just one of those, hmm, wonder what they see in that player that they're signing. I wonder where that player fits in. Not so much in Montreal, because anybody that they've signed this offseason, other than the trade for Newhook, isn't somebody I'm thinking is going to be on the Montreal roster. There could be one of them that I'm going to mention, but I'm thinking this is more for the AHL roster and maybe tutelage than it is for spots on the NHL roster, unless, God help everybody, Montreal has a third year in a row of just an amount of injuries that borderline insanity. So with the signings of Philip Millette and Brady Keeper, I'm just trying to think the purpose of those signings signings was what? Because Montreal's not going to have any shortage, not only on the NHL roster of people competing, but at the AHL level. There is just so many people coming through the pipeline at the same time. I'm just in a quandary about these two particular signings. Now, Leas Anderson? Leas Anderson is kind of an interesting project because this seems to be kind of like an underlying theme right now within the organization that previous first round selections that the team made didn't really pan out that often and that much. So I'm wondering if this is one of those exercises and well, we'll try somebody else's first round picks and see if we can resurrect those players. Because of course, Leah Sanderson was the seventh pick overall in the same year that the Montreal chose center Ryan Paling at the 25th overall position. So I'm just trying to figure out if this is just kind of like a weird chess game somebody's playing. Well, we'll swap out a first round pick we made for somebody else's and maybe we'll end up feeling better about that year's first round draft pick because we ended up with a helpful player or a player that can contribute to our team. Hopefully this exercise doesn't evolve into something like, oh, hey, we can go out and get Kiefer Bellows. Imagine if we did that, we might be able to reincarnate him and turn him into his dad, Brian Bellows. Hopefully we're not going there. Now, regarding players who have left the organization, or if you will, parted ways based on the free agency signings, unfortunately, Alex Bazil has signed with the New York Rangers. I would have loved to see him on the fourth line as the right winger. Who knows? There's several people over the last couple of years that have said he kind of has all the traits and would be an outstanding coach of the future. Maybe he'll come back to Laval that way. Forward Anthony Richards... I know a lot of people were kind of high on him because he was a 25-goal scorer this past season in Laval. Has signed on with the Boston Bruins, who are having all kinds of changeovers themselves. Forward Jonathan Duran. Now, there is a player that has just been a continuous topic and I hope just turns his career around. 
The experiment in Montreal obviously did not go well. It was another flameout, unfortunately costing Montreal the ninth pick overall in the 2016 draft, Sergachev, who has been a cornerstone defenseman in Tampa, which is really unfortunate, but can't cry over spilled milk. Now we've got Caden Gooley. Now we've got Arbor Jacki. Now we've got Lane Hudson. Now we've got Jordan Harris. So all is not lost, but still, we kind of gave away a really, really solid and quite honestly, one of the best first round picks that the Montreal Canadiens had had since the 70s in Mikhail Sergachev. So that was a bummer to see him get traded. And unfortunately for Drew, because of all kinds of injuries, physically and beyond, it just didn't work out. And honestly, it could really be one of the topics we've talked about for a long time. Although there's an obsession to see local talent on the team, there's a reason a lot of guys would say, hey, I grew up loving the Canadians, favorite team, just can't take the pressure of playing for him. And it could have simply been that. Along with Jonathan Juran was defenseman Corey Sherman, who have both signed with the Colorado Avalanche. And I, again, wish them absolutely the best. Defenseman Otto Leskinen has been gone for a while. He already signed a contract to return back to and play for the Finnish League. Right winger Patrick Dubé signed with the Washington Capitals. The Philadelphia Flyers have signed former Canadians first round draft pick center Ryan Paling, who was originally part of the Jeff Petrie trade last year that landed Montreal defenseman Mike Matheson. Another former Canadian that's made his way to Pittsburgh is center Lars Eller. And regarding the Pittsburgh Penguins for a moment, What was going through their mind that somebody thought it was somehow a good idea to give goaltender Tristan Yari a new five-year contract with an annual value of $5.375 million and a total of $26.875 over five years? Tristan Yari's a good goaltender. Unfortunately, he's been ravaged by injuries the last two seasons. What was Pittsburgh thinking? I mean, unless they know all of his injuries are behind him, that he's going to have a completely healthy and be very close to his talent level at the top of his career when he was playing? Wow, that is a risk I just don't get. That is the kind of contract in Pittsburgh that might just come back to haunt them, like the Brendan Gallagher contract and the giant albatross that it is in Montreal haunts them. And in both cases, the players have been big, integral parts of their teams but unfortunately their injuries have made their contracts just this brutal impact on overall team cap but one would have thought with all the injuries that Tristan Jerry has had over the last couple of years it would have set up a whole bunch of red flags alarms and really gotten some people's attention and prevented that trade maybe a one-year contract at 5.4 million dollars roughly okay let's see what you got left But wow, five years is a long time and putting an awful lot into a guy that you know very, very little about from a reliability standpoint due to his health. Back to Montreal, Paul Byron's contract has come off the books officially, which has ended, which which has to be a nice $3.4 million savings. I will be interested to see what happens with Paul Byron. From the standpoint of will he have one of those deals offered to him that Carey Price has apparently had as far as filling a role within team scouting, development, whatever it might be. As far as other players go, it'll also be interesting to see where defenseman Tony Sund ends up. I think he's going to end up signing back with the Swedish elite teams. Where forwards Chris Tierney, defenseman Frederick Allard, Joel Teasdale, who's already been released, and forward Dennis Garyanov. I would think 
In addition to Tony's son ending up back in Sweden, it would not surprise me at all to see Denis Garyanov end up in the KHL. Because of his inconsistencies, I just don't know how many teams are going to give him a shot. I mean, I thought Washington would have been his best bet. Maybe Alexander Ovechkin can take him under his wing, say, hey, dude, look, settle down. You've got talent. You've got size. You can skate. Your stick handling is outstanding. You know, let's get things on track. But apparently Washington doesn't even have any interest in signing him. On a great contract note, Raphael Harvey-Pinard has signed a two-year, $2.2 million contract. Great deal by the Montreal Canadiens. I'm really looking forward to seeing what is going to happen with him this year and where he's going to be slotted in. Continuing on with free agency, what is going on with the New York Islanders handing out seven-year contracts to left-winger Pierre Enval? and defenseman Scott Mayfield. One might be able to justify the eight-year contract to goaltender Ilya Sorokin, but four years to Varlanov? I love Lou Lamorella. I think he's been one of the best GM presidents in all the titles that he's held in different positions in the league for a long time. But seven years to Engvall and Mayfield and four years to Varlanov? I just, wow. That, again, it's one of those things that you got to sit there and go, well, within the team and the organization itself, somebody must have answers to questions or know something that nobody else does. Because those just seem like really long-term contracts that cause a lot of disruption as far as being able to trade players. Usually other teams don't want to take contracts that long. I'm going to be interested. I wish all those players the best, but I'm going to be really, really interested. I hope they have seven or eight years left in them and the New York Islanders get good values on those contracts. Speaking of New York metropolitan teams, I'm wondering on a completely different topic, if you were running the New York Rangers right now, what is preventing you from picking up the phone and calling General Manager Pierre Dorian of the Ottawa Senators? Seriously, why hasn't the New York Rangers offered left-wing Alexei Lafreniere straight up for Alex Dabrinkit? Based on where the Rangers are right now, Alex Dabrinkit would be a perfect fit. They can absorb his contract, maybe have to do a little bit of movement around, but not much. He's the perfect age. Conversely, in Alexei Lafreniere, gives the Ottawa Senators another player that falls within their age group of their developing team, cost certainty as far as a player that can't just walk away because of his younger age, a lower costing contract right now, it's a win-win scenario. Now, another player from the Rangers maybe the Ottawa Senators would be interested in for Alex Dabrinkit is defenseman Keandre Miller. To be determined. I mean, Ottawa seems to have a lot of really good young defensemen coming up and are looking for good offensive talents to line up with their offensive prospects. So to me, Lafreniere makes more sense in this case, but either him or Keandre Miller for Alex Dabrinkit seems like a win-win trade for both franchises. But as we move towards training camp in Montreal, I'm really curious to see if Kent Hughes is successful in moving out some of the extra forwards that Montreal has. I'll be really interested to see if Mike Hoffman, Joel Armia, Christian Dvorak, Josh Anderson, Jake Allen, David Savard, Chris Weidman. I'm curious to see which of those players are on the team during and after training camp ends and before the regular season starts. And I would have to think that that list and maybe some others that are unknown at the moment have to be the potential list that Montreal tries to move throughout the season and at next year's trade deadline in the 2023-2024 season. Talking about heading into the offseason and training camp makes one think that it would be a perfect spot to wrap up episode 57 with. Unfortunately, 
unfortunately, there is still one issue that we have to talk about, and it's really time for a reality check. And what I mean by that is, what is wrong with the people that have either somehow think they've been appointed by or by themselves as some type of God or self-elected supreme leader that gives them the opinion, ability, privilege, or rights that they think they have to pass judgment on, insult, question, condescendingly act towards, attack, chastise, or berate, or vent their displeasures to a player that has just been drafted like David Reinbacher. At first, I wasn't going to talk about that. It's not allowable behavior, nor do they have those rights or privileges. It's one thing to be disappointed with a player that a team drafts. It's another thing to just light up, open fire, and attack that person on social media when you don't have any clue of that person as an individual, about their abilities, or anything else. If anybody can justify that type of behavior, then perhaps some evaluations physically and mentally are in order for those kinds of people with medical personnel. There's just something seriously deranged and unacceptable about that kind of behavior. In David Reinbacher, you have a kid that was just drafted who is watching his lifelong dream unfold and had absolutely nothing but the most positive and wonderful remarks to make about the city of Montreal, its organization, its heritage, and you're going to attack them like that? Where do people get off with that? What has made people believe that they have not only a right, but even a privilege to even allow that to enter their mind? I mean, what kind of sanctimonious, egotistical imbecile would direct their emotions at somebody else that isn't responsible for your apparent issues, which there are very apparent issues there. I mean, that is an act of unprecedented stupidity. And somebody should do research on those people and call them out and make them publicly known on social media so that maybe when they get those types of responses from other people about them, maybe they have a clue as to what they shouldn't do and more importantly, what they're not allowed to do. Because that is a non-allowable behavior at all. That is not tolerable or acceptable in any way. If you thought the Canadians, heck, I thought the Canadians were going to draft Ryan Leonard. And apparently everybody was very upset over the fact that Matt V. Mitchkoff was not drafted. Okay, folks, let's keep in mind something here. We are talking about a sport, okay? We're talking about a game. We're not talking about anything life-threatening here. We're not talking about a staple needed in life that varies your ability to exist or not. You're talking about a sport. And although there are a lot of different groups or organizations, I'll call it, that would want people to buy into that type of chaos and belief that it's that important, it's really not. Life could go on perfectly fine without sports. Some people might miss them. Some people might not be able to imagine their life without them, but it's not a life-threatening difference. It's not a difference maker in life that determines whether you exist or not. Negativity can be written about and discussed by any integrity-lacking, untalented individual whose sole purpose is to cause instability, chaos, and dissension at every possible opportunity they can. Let's hope karma makes a full cycle 360 degree turn and introduces itself to the people that have made these comments and maybe pays them back in a way that makes the point in such a way that they will never make that mistake or even contemplate making comments like that. 
But a reality check has to occur here in this God complex or self-imposed supreme ruler belief. Folks, look, come down from your self-created mountain. You're not it. You never have been. You never will be. Move on. But do not insult players like this, especially 18-year-old kids that at one moment are the happiest in the world and the next moment going, wow, what did I do to deserve that? That is just unacceptable. I have gone out of my way to leave politics and social issues off of my podcasts, but this one was just too much not to address. And hopefully it is a one and done thing for anybody to behave that way. Because it's everything from inappropriate to unprofessional, and it needs to be corrected quickly. On that note, that wraps up episode 57 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Stiles. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a fantastic week.